Shabbos, Perak Base Mishnah Aleph. We now begin the second Perak Masacha Shabbos. And it's actually a chapter that's quite familiar to us because we say it in Shul every Friday night, Butin Minchamar, typically. And the topic of the chapter is the lighting of Shabbos candles um, to have the house lit for Shabbos. Now, the reason why we do that um, is actually not perfectly clear. There are two possibilities, basically. Um, it could be that it's for Kavod Shabbos, and it could be that it's for Onig Shabbos, or it could be that it's for both. Uh, there is a Pasuk in Yeshaya, the Navi, the prophet, who talks about Shabbos, how Shabbos should be um, both a um, an Oneg, which is like a delight, as well as um, referring to it as needing to be Muchubad, honorable. Um, the Pasuk says, oneg, And you will call Shabbos a delight, Oneg. Likdosh Hashem Mechubad, for Hashem, the Holy One, um, that it should be honored, Mechubad, honored. So, um, in general, Kavod Shabbos, honoring Shabbos, usually refers to the things one does in preparation for Shabbos, in recognition of the specialness of the day. Um, so, typical Kavod Shabbos things are things like cleaning the house, setting the table, making the bed, and perhaps lighting the candles in anticipation for the honorable guest of Shabbos, which will be arriving. Others learn that the essential part of having candles lit on Shabbos is for Oneg Shabbos, to make your Shabbos more enjoyable. It's not fun to walk around in the dark, to bang into things, to bump your knee, and to eat in the dark is certainly not very fun. Food tastes a lot better uh, when the lighting is right. Um, some understand that it's actually both um, at the same time, or it could be that the covered Shabbos occurs before Shabbos. There could be also, you know, when you have a an important meal, so the lighting, the ambience is essential, and the lighting of the house is an essential part of that. could be that the covered refers to the eating component, and the only refers to the house being lit up aside from eating, so it's not dark and dingy in the house. Whatever the case, it's certainly an obligation to light your house properly before Shabbos. Um, you may even want to use electric lighting, as I do in my home, um, as well as candles. And when I make the bracha, even my wife makes the bracha, on lighting candles, she actually lights not just the oil lamps, we use olive oil candles in our house, um, but she also flicks on the electric switch as the lighting of the house proper, since certainly the main lighting of the house from which we derive the benefits and enjoyment of Shabbos come from the electric lighting, um, not the candles. So that's the story here of the topic of a Masechta. The reason why it's become a strong custom in many, many communities to say Bamemad Likin. Uh, on a Friday night is because there in general is a principle of wanting to um, learn between Mincha and Marv, um, as the one day flows to the next so it comes to Friday night there's actually a window of time where it's a little you have to finish Davin Mincha ideally before sundown but you have to wait a little bit till Marv begins so there's a window there of opportunity and you could learn something and the custom in many communities is to learn Bamin that may date back to the time of the Gaonim in let's say the 9th and 10th centuries when the Karaites, who were a, also Jews, but they took the Psukim literally, and didn't, um, they were strongly religious in some sense, um, but didn't um, accept the Torah Shabbat Peh, the oral tradition. So therefore, when the Pasuk says something like, you may not kindle a flame in your home, so they understood it means you have to sit in the dark. And um, at the peak of the Karaites' influence, and before the Rambam, between Rav Sadia and the Rambam, um, who sort of quashed that movement, um, 
a significant portion of the Jewish world were Karaites, like let's say 30% or something like that, like a significant number, and in many communities even more than that. And that being the case, um, as a way to sort of signal strongly that we reject the Karaite position, we make it our business to recite exactly the candles and the type of lighting materials we use on Friday to have our houses lit for Shabbos, despite the Karaite's objection to that. Okay, all that said, and we now start the first Mishnah here, um, which talks about what are the fuels and wicks that one may use, the fuel meaning the oil and the wick meaning the thing you liked, um, on Shabbos, just in case you've never seen it before. I'm sure you have on Hanukkah. If you just take oil, like olive oil, you stick a piece of cotton inside of it, you wait a few minutes for the oil to get drawn up the cotton, and then you light the cotton, it burns. Simple as that. Um, so that's how their lamps were set up. You probably should imagine the lamp they're using is what you see on the cover of any illustration about Hanukkah, the lamp, the old school lamp um, from the Second Temple period time, was a lamp, you know what they look like, kind of a reservoir, a big hole in the top where the oil could be poured in, and then like a little, like I think the Aladdin lamp or something, a little small um, hole on the other side, out of which the wick would come, and the wick would reach down into the oil in the bottom of the reservoir, and it would be drawn up into the wick, and the oil would burn um, at the edge of the wick on the far side of the lamp. So the question is, what kind of wicks and what kind of oil could you use? And the reason why we don't want you using substandard oils or wicks, which would maybe go out, maybe flicker, maybe provide um, provide an constant amount of light, they'd sputter and spit um, oil perhaps, and all these things are no good, either because it's not enjoyable, it's not chubad, you might come to tilt the lamp, all different reasons given. Therefore we want the kinds of wicks which will draw consistent amounts of oil, the kind of oils which will burn smoothly, and therefore the mission says, Ein these are the wicks, we'll start with the wicks first, that you can't use, Loba lechesh, you can't use lechesh, lechesh is... Um, translated as cedar bast. What is that? So inside every tree, you got the, you have the bark on the outside of the tree. Beneath the bark, you have the vascular system of the tree, the like the veins, if you will, of the tree, which bring the liquids around. If you recall from good old-fashioned uh, ninth-grade biology, you have the xylem and the phloem. So um, these are the phloem, meaning that right beneath the the bark of the tree, there's like um, some fibrous material, phloem. Bast, same thing, which is used to transport the production of um, different sugars, etc., that the leaves produce around the tree for its nutrition. Deeper in will be the xylem, that's to bring the water up from the roots up to those leaves. In any case, that kind of fibrous material is pretty lousy as a wick, and therefore you shouldn't use um, fibrous material like that, even from a cedar tree, which I guess has extra amount of it, um, is no good as a wick. You shouldn't use chosen. Chosen is uncombed or uncarded linen, flax. So again, the story there is linen comes from a plant called a flax plant. It's kind of like, think of it as almost like long stalks of a simple plant. Um, you harvest those long stalks. You let them sit in water for about 12 days. They rot. The technical word for that is retting, R-E-T-T-I-N-G. Um, and then after that, um, the kind of gum that glues the thing together has come loose, and you can kind of crush the stalks and separate the fibers, which will become your linen, um, the flax fibers from the flax stalks. The crushing process yields which is not very smooth, and then what happens is after you um, pull out those fibers, you'll want to essentially comb them. Um, that is called carding. It comes up a lot in shots in different places. If you've ever seen like 
um, the kind of metal brushes you use to comb a dog, for example. Think of two of those pulling in opposite directions, which will pull all the, the fibers, the flax fibers, in the same direction, being parallel one to the other, and that way you can make nice textiles, you know, garments out of it. So chosen is after you've crushed the flax, but before you've carded it, you haven't um, combed those fibers, they're not all in the same direction, and therefore they don't um, draw smoothly the oil, so you shouldn't use that host and that uncarded flax as a wick. If you take good old-fashioned linen and you kind of braid it into a wick, that makes a fantastic wick, um, but that is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about if it hasn't yet been combed. Vlobachlach. Kalach is um, kalach is low-grade silk. What's going on there? So there's a little um, moth called a silk moth. It makes lays eggs, the eggs give birth to little, give forth little um, larvae, like little caterpillars. Caterpillars eat these mulberry leaves for a couple of weeks. They eat like hungry, hungry caterpillars. And then when they get um, grow enough, they spin little cocoons on themselves. And those cocoons are made out of silk, like raw silk. It's like from a saliva gland in the, in the, in this little larva, the little caterpillar. And actually, believe it or not, it makes a, you can imagine, think of the size of like, like a large peanut, you know, a little bigger than like your, the top joint of your thumb. These little balls, kind of like little silk cocoons. They're actually made out of a single thread that can go for like a kilometer long if you unwind it. Um, so it's, it's remarkably, it's remarkable. So what happens is um, normal silk production, you will actually boil after the pupa, after the cocoon has been spun, You'll essentially, if you're in the business of making silk, so then you will you boil those, killing the creature inside, and then loosening the threads, and you can actually have a single long thread that you can kind of spin on a machine that could be like, like I say, like a kilometer long, like half a mile long from a single little caterpillar. And that's how you'll be able to create beautiful, solid, nice silk. Now, if your little, if your little uh, caterpillar gets out of its cocoon by using some sort of enzymes to kind of like, like called burn a hole, like melt a hole in the cocoon, what happens is instead of having one long thousand meter long thread, you'll have, since each one's got torn, you have an inconsistent number of, you know, shorter threads that have been cut and torn in different places. So if you have great single silk, it's high quality silk, you can unwind it onto a machine and use it to make silk. If your caterpillar got out, so then you'll have like broken bits and pieces of silk. Again, you could um, do the same kind of carding process of, you know, like any other small fibers, same as wool, and make it into second degree, you know, grade B silk product. But the combing of it to make it all the fibers lined up to use, uh, make some kind of woolly. And that's what the kalach is. The kalach is the leftover silk that comes from the silk um, cocoons that uh, were torn or broken, whatever the story is. And therefore they're not great. And those do not carry oil very well, and therefore they're a bad choice for wick, and they're forbidden by the Mishnah. Vloba psilasa idon. This is also this is the willow tree, the willow bast, same same idea. The, those like the bast, the phloem beneath the bark of the willow tree. No good for a wick, doesn't draw well. Vloba psilasa midbar, some kind of desert fiber. They would take these plants and weave them into wicks, but doesn't draw well, so don't use that. Vloba yuroka shal panehamayim. And you can't use... According to the Bartanura, it's the green that grows underneath the hull of a ship. Um, the little literal translation of the words is the green that grows 
on top of the water. So not clear to me exactly what it's talking about, either seaweed or algae or both. Um, whatever the case is, that material does not make good wicks, so don't use your wicks on Shabbos out of that material. Now we transition in the Mishnah to talk about no longer wicks, but about oils, fuel sources. So what you shouldn't use is veloba zephes. You shouldn't use zephes. Zephes is pitch. What's pitch? It's basically hardened tree sap. So if you've ever seen trees, um, if they get cut or pruned, you can see this kind of like a, a liquid that kind of oozes out from the sapwood inside of the, the tree. So if it's very liquidy and kind of drips like maple, maple syrup style, that's just considered sap. If it's a little more um, hardened, much more viscous, so then, and it usually looks kind of like little bubbles that have, or like little bits that have dried on to the edge of the tree, um, often referred to as resin of the tree, if not sap of the tree, that's the zephyr, that's the pitch. If it's hardened to like a big clump, that's for sure called a resin. Um, but uh, in any case, so zephyr is sort of soft-ish tree sap, um, which you shouldn't, you may not use because it doesn't flow very well. Um, even if you sort of like make a multi by warming it up, no good. It's not a good fuel source. Vlobe shava, same goes for wax. Shava wax comes from bees, honeycomb. Same idea. If you take the wax from the honeycomb, um, you can sort of you can sort of melt it down, and it could pool and make like a fuel source. The mission doesn't like that idea either because zevas and shava both don't flow very well through the wick, and therefore don't make a consistent flame. Um, the poskim essentially all agree the shulchan aruch poskins that a wax candle, which people did use for who knows how many centuries, um, is, yes, acceptable. It does work well. So the, I thought here of the shava is using um, molten wax at the bottom of your like Hanukkah lamp type lamp as a fuel source. It just doesn't draw well. But as a good old-fashioned candle where you have the stick of wax and in the middle of it you have um, that filament, that, that wick, that's going to work fine and be permitted. Nowadays, the candles that you use, if you use candles, are made out of you might call them wax, but they're actually called made of paraffin, which is synthetic. Petroleum-based thing, it works even better. Um, but all these are fine as candles for Shabbos, not a problem. Veloba Shem and Kik, you can't use Shem and Kik. Two Pshatim brought in the Bar Tanura. The first is that we're talking about cottonseed oil. The second Pshat is it's from the Kikayon, that plant that grew quickly over the Navayona's head, Jonah the prophet. Um, whatever it is, it doesn't burn very well, therefore it's a bad choice as a fuel source. Vlobashem and Srefa, this is something different. Shemen Srefa, which means literally oil that needs to be burned, um, is referring to truma oil from an like olive oil that was set aside for a Kohen that became tame. So you're not allowed to burn that under certain circumstances. The case of the Mishnah here we're saying is that if you have truma, so you're supposed to, it can come from different kinds of produce, it has to be given to a Kohen, and the Kohen is allowed to eat it. It could be oil, it could be wine, it could be grain, etc. Now, if it becomes tame, then it has to be destroyed. But while it's being destroyed, the Kohen is permitted to get benefit from it. So in the case of olive oil, if you have truma olive oil, give it to the Kohen, it becomes tame. The Kohen must burn it, but he's allowed to um, burn it and get heat or light, um, etc. from the oil. That's permitted. So therefore, it seems that he should be able to light with his truma olive oil that became tame on Shabbos, no problem. But the case here we're talking about is where the Friday going into Shabbos is also a Yom Tov. So it's Friday is Shavuos, let's say, or Sukkot, Pesach. And in such a scenario, we're saying you may not use the Shemen Srefa, the truma oil that became tame, 
to light your Shabbos candles. The reason why is because there's a separate unrelated rule that you're not supposed to, you're not allowed to burn kudshim that became tummy, that became puzzle, on Yom Tov. So that means, if, for example, a particular offering, animal offering, let's say, that was brought on Yom Tov, became invalidated, you're not allowed to burn it until after Yom Tov, since in general you can't burn things not for good reason, there's no good reason to burn it on Yom Tov, you can push it until afterwards, therefore you're not allowed to burn puzzle kudshim on Yom Tov. And although truma isn't kudshim, but there are psukim that connect the two, and therefore we treat truma like kudshim, and as much as just says you're not to burn invalidated kudshim on Yom Tov, you're not supposed to burn, you're not allowed to burn uh, invalidated, meaning tame truma on Yom Tov. And that being the case, our mission is referring specifically to that case, where if you're talking about Erev Shabbos being Yom Tov, you can't use Shemans Reifa for your candles, because you're not allowed to burn Shemans Reifa on Yom Tov. Vloba Aliyah. Aliyah is talking about the Aliyah is the fatty tail of a sheep. Look at a picture, you'll see what I mean. So this this fat in the back of the tail of the sheep clearly does not burn very well, and therefore it's a bad choice. Uh, we've lapsed back now into wicks, excuse me, into, into oil sources again, presumably, as well as Veloba Chelev. Chelev is a suet, S-U-E-T. Those are the hard fats that uh, encircle uh, the internal organs, especially the kidney, and... Um, they're forbidden to be eaten. Um, they could be burned, but we're saying it's not a great source of fuel, and therefore you shouldn't use chelev as your fuel source on Shabbos. It doesn't burn well. Nachum Hamadi disagrees. Nachum Hamadi, that means he's from Medea, like basically Iran of a day, like a Mede, so the Median. So Nachum Hamadi, Omer, Madlikin b'chelev muvushal. If you boiled the chelev, so then you could use it as a fuel source on Shabbos, this is called making tallow, T-A-L-L-O-W, and tallow was a very common um, source for candles throughout throughout the ages until really modern times. What happens is you take suet, the chelev, you heat it slowly, and um, some of the other oils melt away, but then what's left behind is like the remnant can be stored for a long period of time. It burns, um, it burns, it burns well. Tallow candles are a staple. Um, and it can last for a long time, unlike chelu, which goes bad quickly. Um, tallow can be kept for months without spoiling, especially if you keep it in a container that doesn't have air access to air. So Nachumari holds that while its chelu is no good, if you warm it up and you produce it and turn it into tallow, then you could use it um, on Shabbos as a fuel source. And the Chacham say, It doesn't matter if you cooked it making the suet into tallow or otherwise. In Malikambo, no, you may not use it as a fuel source. Um, if you are keeping track here, you'll realize that the Tanakamu said, no chelev is agreeing with the chum at the end here, no chelev. Therefore, the Gemara wants to know what's the difference between those two shitas. The Gemara couldn't, it was unthinkable that the mission would just repeat itself and being redundant. So that being the case, the Gemara says, um, the Machlokas is that one of these two shitas, Tanakamu or the Chachamim, hold that if you add a little bit of other oil to your tallow, then it's acceptable. Um, another one says, no, it's still unacceptable. It's not clear in the Gemara. It says, it's not. It's unknown whether the Tanakama or the Chacham was the one who holds the adding oil and would make it permissible. In any case, the Lach is like the Chacham, whatever they may be, and um, certainly, therefore, um, Chelev, under normal circumstances, as well as tallow, the cooked Chelev, is not acceptable for making candles for Shabbos.